So you see, there are things that need to happen, prophecies that need to be fulfilled, but we have the freedom to choose if we take part in them or not, and how we take part in them. The offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. We all have the free will to choose where we fit in within the fulfillment of prophecy. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and his truth with the world. Today we'll be discussing how Jesus is treated. Most people today struggle with believing that there is an almighty and all-knowing God, and they struggle even more with the concept of who Jesus really is. And so they either treat the Lord with denial, disrespect, dismissal, or just plain and simple disbelief. But one thing is for certain, that each person will be judged according to the way they choose to treat the Lord. Nothing is going unnoticed before the eyes of God. The only path to salvation is by treating Jesus as the Lord and God He is. Today's message is inspired on Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 to 16. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, blessing and honor and glory be to you, Lord God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Heavenly Father, I pray as always for your forgiveness, for your mercy, and for your grace. For I depend on them, Lord God, for we are nothing without you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I give you thanks, O Lord, because you are truly merciful and gracious in every way. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord God, for your strength, for your guidance, I pray, O oh Lord, for the ministering of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you may help us to have open hearts and minds to you, Lord God. Help us, O oh Lord, to understand that we need to treat your Son, Jesus Christ, as who he is, as Lord God Almighty. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks and I praise you, O oh Lord. Help us to understand, O oh God, that our actions do matter to you and that we will give an account for each and every one of them. To you be all the honor and the glory and the praise forever and ever. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Today's key passage can be found in Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 to 16. This is the word of the Lord. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, 
What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. It is true that everything that was written about the Lord and what would happen to him had to be fulfilled. Jesus as God was going to make sure that all things would be fulfilled because he came to do the will of the Father. But we have to wonder how much of it was his doing versus how much of it was man's own doing. Is there such a thing as predestination and that every man's path is set? There are those that would assert that all things are set and that this is the way that we even see God's greatness. They would allege that God has a set course for every person and what will happen to them. And they base their ideology on certain passages of the scripture where the term predestination or predetermination is used. And of course, we would have to agree, but up to a certain point and a certain extent with very select few cases. As always, we can never focus on just certain portions of the scriptures and ignore the vast majority where the word of God asserts that man has the right to choose their own path. We see, for instance, Pharaoh, a person that has been used to argue predestination, way back in the book of Exodus, that he was, in fact, the first one that hardened his heart against God. God wasn't the one that started the problem. It was Pharaoh that first chose to harden his heart and rebelled against what he was being told to do. In Exodus chapter 5, we read the following. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And after this instance, we read the following in chapter 7, where it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, and you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, and just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and his, before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, that they did in like manner what their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard. And he did not heed them as the Lord had said. In verse 22, we read this, when the water of the river was turned into blood. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments and Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was heart moved by this. In chapter eight, we read the following after the plague of the frogs had ended. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. On the third plague, which had to do with the lice, we read this. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on men and beasts, and the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said.
And on the fourth plague, which had to do with the flies, we see this. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. And on the fifth plague, with the death of the livestock, we see this in verse 7 of chapter 9. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. But now on the sixth plague, which had to do with the boils, we read something different, where it says, So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on men and beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. And he took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven. And they caused boils that break out in sores on men and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. There is a shift that happens here. It goes from Pharaoh hardened his heart on the first five plagues to God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And on the seventh plague with the hail, we see one last instance. But there Pharaoh hardens his heart again, as we see in the following. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured out on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. But finally, on the eighth and ninth plagues, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. There was no more opportunity for Pharaoh to turn on his own. And so we saw through these various passages that Pharaoh was given much opportunity to change, to listen to God's command through Moses. But he would be the one to harden his heart. God didn't start hardening his heart until Pharaoh had rejected his word many times, not just once. So can we say that Pharaoh was a predestined person? Was his path all set? God had told Moses what would happen at the beginning because he is all-knowing, because he knew what would happen with Pharaoh, but not because it had been set beforehand. God does whatever he wants, but even such a person as Pharaoh had the right to choose his path, and he chose the path of pride, of rebellion, of not heeding the word of the Lord. And when God had enough of his rebellion, God then hardened his heart. God made him turn away. God in his dignity and worthiness as God, because he is worthy, said, it is enough, no more. You don't want anything with me, Pharaoh? You don't want to listen? Then I, the one that hardens your heart and rejects you. You are not God, Pharaoh. I am the one that is God. I am the I am. In Jeremiah chapter 17, we see that the Lord says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So you see, God knows everything, especially what is deep within our hearts and our minds. 
God knew what was in Pharaoh's heart. God saw his pride, his arrogance, his rebellious disposition. And so God gave him according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So we can conclude that Pharaoh was in fact not predetermined or predestined. Pharaoh chose his own path and he chose out of his own free will to do what he wanted to do. God gave him opportunities to change, to be different, but Pharaoh chose otherwise. Now, some might argue, but God said it would happen. And yes, God said it, but because he knew Pharaoh, but we read also in the Bible that God says that he will punish and destroy, but that he also repents and relents from doing so because of his mercy. In the book of Jonah, we see of his great mercy. In chapter three, we read the following after Jonah had been released by the whale. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But if we go down to verse 10, we read the following. Then God saw their works that they had turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. God in his holiness had decided to destroy Nineveh. He was going to do away with them. But something happened. Something changed when God saw their repentance. And the Bible tells us that God relented. He changed his mind. He didn't destroy them like he said he would. God can change his mind when it comes to punishment and wrath, when there is repentance, when there is a heart that chooses to change, to repent from sin, to turn away from wrongful actions. And so just because God says something doesn't mean that he in his position of authority cannot change his mind. Now, would God have done the same for Pharaoh? And the answer is yes. God in his mercy, if he would have seen Pharaoh turn away from his evil ways, if he would have seen Pharaoh soften his heart while there was still time, God would not have taken it upon himself to harden Pharaoh's heart. That's the goodness of God. That is the extent of God's mercy. But when a person is unrelenting in their rebellion against God, when they continually reject God over and over and over again, then God can make the decision to finish things off because he is God and he is the one that has the final say-so in everything. And so let's jump forward to our key passage and the people mentioned in there. The ones that we want to look at for a moment are the religious people and Judas Iscariot. Where these religious people, especially Caiaphas, predestined or predetermined to do what they did with Jesus Christ? And I would have to say, the answer is no. Matthew chapter 27, verse 17 to 18, gives us more insight where it says, therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. And so even Pilate knew the reason for why the religious leaders wanted Jesus dead, because he knew that they envied the Lord. As ridiculous as it sounds, the religious leaders knew who Jesus was 
and they hated him for it. They envied Jesus for all the things he said, how he taught, and of course, because of the power and miracles shown through his life. Jesus took their spotlight. Jesus had the attention and the following of the crowds. Jesus took the people's attention away from them. And rather than submitting to the Lord to honor him as who he was and is, they chose to hate him, to reject him, to envy him, and ultimately to seek his death. And this is all choice. Let's look at Judas Iscariot for a moment also. Did it have to be Judas the one to betray the Lord? And the answer is no. One of the 12 had to betray him. The Lord did have to be betrayed and sold. But who had to do the task, if you will, was to be seen. But similar to Pharaoh, Jesus knew where Judas's heart was. Jesus gave him the chance to change, to be different, to let go of his hidden evil ways. He was with the Lord for three years, seeing and hearing all of the things Jesus did firsthand. Judas practically lived with God for those three years. And rather than valuing the Lord for who he was and is, and for all the things he did, he chose to betray him. Why? John chapter 12 gives us this insight where it says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. So plain and simple, Judas loved money. He was governed by greed. This Judas was the one that complained about the anointing that the woman had given the Lord. He was the one that said, why this waste? And showed supposed concern for the poor. But like we just read, he didn't care about the poor or anyone else. He only cared about himself and about what he could steal. This is what the word says in Matthew chapter 18. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. So you see, there are things that need to happen, prophecies that need to be fulfilled, but we have the freedom to choose if we take part in them or not and how we take part in them. The offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. We all have the free will to choose where we fit in within the fulfillment of prophecy. And the Lord even said, if something within you is causing you to fall, do away with it. In other words, be practical about dealing with your weaknesses, with those things that contribute to your fall, rather than just letting them be. That all involves choice, free will. For instance, if you have weakness with alcohol, don't go to the bar. Stay away from alcohol. Try not to go near it. Stay away from people that drink alcohol. That's all free will. That's all intentional. There is no, you are sentenced to being an alcoholic and there's nothing you can do about it. That's a lie. And so choose to rely on the Lord and pray to him to help you with your problems, but also choose to do very practical things to help deal with your problems also. So what can we conclude with all of this? We saw that there is free will to do all things, 
So the question is, how do you choose to treat Jesus? Well, we could tell with the couple of examples we saw through the people that were directly involved in getting Jesus killed was that their hearts were unrelenting in their sinfulness. Their desire to follow their sinfulness led them to kill Jesus. The religious people chose to let their envy take hold of them. Judas chose to follow his love for money to sell out the Lord. And we also see the opposite in the woman that spent a great deal of money to do something special for the Lord because she chose to honor the Lord, to give the best she had and to do it publicly. Her choosing to value the Lord compelled her to do what she did for him. And she pleased God to the point that we are even reading about her until today. Wherever the gospel is preached, sooner or later we speak of this woman that did this wonderful thing for the Lord, just as the Lord said it would happen. More than 2,000 years have gone by, and the choice that this woman made to honor and worship the Lord is being talked about at this very moment. This woman chose to probably spend everything she had on the Lord while Judas sought the opportunity to betray him. It's amazing what two different people chose to do. So what ultimately determines that? A person's heart. And so, how do you treat the Lord? To know that answer, you need to look at your heart. That is what determines everything in you. And that is what God is after, changing your heart. If it is in the wrong place, if it is governed by your sinfulness, you don't have to stay in that condition. You are not predestined or predetermined to be lost. I'm going to say this again. You are not predestined or predetermined to be lost. That is why God says, repent, convert, turn from your evil ways. This is what the word says about the heart. And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. These are all examples of things that come out of a heart that is ruled by sin. If you have a heart problem, you are free to change all of that through the Lord Jesus Christ by repenting and converting from all your sins and by choosing to make Jesus the Lord of your life, the ruler of your heart. This is what determines how you treat Jesus. Ultimately, what you choose to do with what is within your heart. That is all choice, free will. I would urge you today that if your heart is in the wrong place, to turn to the Lord so that you treat Jesus as he needs to be treated, as the Lord of your life, so you can find the forgiveness of sins and salvation that you so desperately need. Jesus is the only way to salvation, the only way to eternal life. For your own good, choose to start treating him right today. Everyone is free to choose how they want to treat the Lord for now. God allows during this time for people to make that decision and to carry out their intentions. And he is very merciful in doing so because he wants to give people the opportunity to turn away from their evil ways if they are not treating him as he deserves to be treated and how people need to treat him for their own good. The word even says that he is delaying his return to give place for repentance, to extend the opportunity for salvation, just as it is written. The Lord is not slacking concerning his promise, as some count slackness, 
but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why it is completely wrong and unfair to say that God is not good when he is in fact very good to people. He allows for all of the evil to take place because he is just patiently waiting for people to realize what they're doing wrong. God is no fool. God doesn't strike people down with lightning because he doesn't exist or because he is powerless, but rather because he is more than patient and kind and merciful. The problem is that most people mistake his extreme goodness for weakness or non-existence. But make no mistake, there will be a day of reckoning. There will come a time when he will settle things. And it is in everyone's best interest to treat the Lord as he deserves to be treated. In the end, at the final judgment, God will judge each person individually based on their intentions and their actions, on the decisions they made, ultimately on how they chose to treat him. God is love, but God is also consuming fire. And he is God. No one will get away with mistreating him, not even Satan himself. Everyone, either for salvation or for eternal damnation, will acknowledge who he is and will have to bow down to him, just as it is written. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so this will happen. and There will be no choice in the matter. All decision is removed from this instance in the future. We will all bow our knees and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, some for eternal life and some for judgment and eternal separation from God. So I would urge you, if you have not yet made a decision for Christ and to treat him as the Lord he is, to make that decision today. If you are a believer, but you have only looked for God's favor to get things that you want or need and have not made a decision to treat him as the Lord, as the one in charge of your life, I would urge you to repent and to turn away from that. There is no salvation unless Jesus is treated as Lord and you are seeking to do the Father's will. For it is also written, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Choose to start treating the Lord right today for your own good. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy God, hallowed and glorified be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. Thank you, O Lord, for the opportunity of salvation that you give us, O Lord. Thank you for everything that you give us. I pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, that you help us to understand that we need to treat you. And we need to treat the Lord Jesus Christ as who both of you are. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that we need to honor you above all things, that we need to love you above all things. 
Help us to understand that there is a moment of judgment that is coming and that each one of us will give an account and that we must be ready for that through the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, that you may help us to have fear of you and that we may also learn to love you, Lord God, through that fear. Help us, O oh Lord, to have a deep and reverent respect for who you are and help us to treat you accordingly. Help us, O oh Lord, to honor and glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. To you be all the honor and the glory and the praise forever and ever. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.